0: All right, well, I am so glad that we are able to gather together just like Matt prayed um, in person around the Word of God. Such a sweet and needed time. Scripture tells us not to neglect meeting together. And uh, we sort of haven't had a choice in recent months but uh, because of the pandemic, but here we are. And while we're on that topic of, of the pandemic, let me just encourage you all again. I know you're tired of hearing it. I'm tired of saying it this encourage you all again to to do all that that you can to keep yourself and keep other people safe, especially right now not not just not just for that sake, but also for the for the sake of the church gathering. you know, think about that the more the more the spike in the numbers grow grows, the higher the likelihood is that not only the university but perhaps Who knows, other places, including the church, may have to scale back on what we're able to do, what we're allowed to do. I don't know. Um, So just please wear a mask when you're around other people who aren't your roommates, even if, like, you're in your own house and other people are in there. Even if you're, they might think you're a weirdo, but put the mask on. Um, I know that you may think it's dumb if you're in your own house if other people come in, but it's not that great of a sacrifice. I've said this to our leaders, our leaders in in our college ministry, like our missional community group leaders, man, just mere exposure. You may not even get it, but you've, you've been, you've had like some kind of significant exposure to somebody who has COVID can knock you out of what you feel called to do, like lead a mission, can knock you out of it for days on end. So nobody wants that. Um, nobody, but nobody else in, enjoys having a self-quarantine either. So <laughs> uh, we're just encouraging you to wear your mask and Da-da-da-da-da. alright public service announcement complete. Tonight we are continuing in the, the series on the Apostles' Creed, which we confessed together earlier in the service, and which we began studying last week, um, last Wednesday night, with those two opening words, thrice repeated, I believe, I believe. We're studying through well, why the Apostles' Creed. We're studying through this ancient creed, uh because we feel like this is an important cultural moment to do so. Uh, any cultural moment is, is an important one to study through this this ancient creed. Uh, just as in any any culture in any time is always trying to carry it carry you downstream with it and carry your loves and your allegiances with it away from Christ and away from his word. So that's always a, a good reason to be rooted in an ancient Christian. Uh, confession of faith, but especially in this cultural moment when uh, because of the pandemic, like I 've just been talking about, we 've been separated and isolated, especially as a church, so when we can finally come together, we want to be uh, rooted again in who we are and remind ourselves of who we are and what does it mean to confess our faith as a Christian? What does it mean to confess our faith as a church? And not just what does it mean right now to do so, but what has it always meant? We want to do what it has always meant. We want to be in lockstep with the communion of saints that we confessed earlier, uh, which the Apostles' Creed represents. It's the oldest, oldest Christian creed and confession outside the Bible itself. And it dates, dates back to the generation right after the, the disciples, the apostles. They, they perhaps would have known the apostles personally. That's old. Um, And it's a very faithful summary of the basic truths of the gospel and the Christian faith. Truths that every every Christian of every stripe and every place and every time should be able to confess without any kind of reservation. So we confess it. And so we're going to think through it also this this fall. And like I said, last week we we thought about that opening uh, phrase, I believe, to understand what the scriptures and what the creed means by those two words, I believe. We talked about, uh, what are the what are the biblical and apostolic characteristics of biblical faith? And and from the scriptures and from the creed, we talked about seven uh, different characteristics. If you were not able to be here, by the way, last week, we do have a podcast. Just look up Lakeview College Ministry, and you can you can catch last week's. It's already up there. But well, we said that that uh, the the seven characteristics of biblical faith, apostolic faith is it is personal. Nobody can believe for you. It is communal. You are not to believe alone. You are to believe alongside a family of faith called the church. It is public. It is not just to be kept to yourself. We're to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is specific. We don't just believe. We believe specific things. It is humble. We don't always understand perfectly everything that we believe, so we ought not be prideful about it. It is ancient. If you're constantly being presented with new things, new and flashy and hype, Go somewhere else where they teach old, boring things because Christianity is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It's ancient. And it's Catholic with a little c, not Roman Catholic, but Catholic with a little c, meaning uh, it's universal, worldwide. These are the things that we believe along with every Christian everywhere. These are not things that that are denomination specific, put it that way. Well, tonight we're coming to the first specific confession of the creed which says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's what we want to think about tonight. That's the line. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Well, it actually commas matter. I believe in God, comma, the Father Almighty, comma, creator of heaven and earth. That's what we're going to think about. And to see how that line is a, is a simple summary of a deeply biblical an apostolic truth. Take your Bible and open to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to begin with a great passage. There are a lot of places we could have opened up for this, but this will certainly suffice to demonstrate the point. Revelation chapter 4. By the way, it's not Revelations with an S. It's not like Walmarts or Walmarts as some people say revelation one revelation revelation four the apostle john penned the book of revelation under the inspiration of the holy spirit and it's a great great book we should probably study through it sometime but in revelation four he is describing a scene in heaven that he's seeing in his vision he's seeing the throne of god in heaven and he and 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 around around his throne were the 24 elders the 24 elders that that I believe represent, they represent all of the redeemed of all time. 12 of the Old Testament, 12 of the New, all the redeemed. 24 elders around the throne worshiping the Lord and the four living creatures worshiping the Lord. And here is what we begin, and we're going to begin reading in, in, in uh, verse 8 and read to the end of the chapter. And the four living creatures... Each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within. What a fun book. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures Give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. Well, um, that's a good passage. Let's pray and then we'll ask God's blessing over the rest of our time. Father, we cry out with, with the 24 elders. We cry out with the four living creatures. We cry out with all the redeemed. Holy, holy, holy are you. And you are worthy to be praised and worthy of all honor and glory and majesty and power because, as it says, you created all things. By your will they were created and exist. That is the truth that we're going to think about tonight, Lord. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We only believe that line of the creed because we see it Confirmed in your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. What we just read there is true in every way. So as we we think about the scriptures, as we think about scriptural truth tonight, would you give us eyes to see the truth? Give us minds to understand it. Give us hearts to embrace and love what we uh, know to be true. Would you give us wills to obey whatever it is you call us to do? Give us all ears to hear. Would you give me the help that I need to teach? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so even though that passage in Revelation doesn't specifically refer to the Lord as Father that we're thinking about tonight, which, um, there are scores of other passages that do, by the way. And, and it is here that we do confess um, that he is the creator of all that, it, that that is, all that exists in heaven and earth. So that's what we're going to think about Tonight, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And I, uh, What kind of confession is that? What, what, what can we learn from it? That simple line. Um, and I think we could spend a, lo- a long time on, on this line, but I want to suggest three things that characterize it, three things that characterize this confession, that it, it's important for right now. <laughs> One, first, this confession is reasonable. It is reasonable. This is something that was true then, it's true now. When you confess, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, that is a reasonable confession. I don't care who you're talking to and how they might make you feel or want to make you feel because you believe that, it's reasonable that you believe it. We're going to talk about that. Second, this, this confession is, and I, I, I made up a word here, revelational. Revelational it communicates though if you know meaning what I mean by that made up word that this confession is nothing more than a description of of God that we find comes straight out of the Bible, it comes straight out of revelation it's not a it's not saying anything that scripture itself doesn't say, in other words what is con- what is what is confessed in the apostles' Creed about God the Father here is not the figment of someone's imagination it is it is Deeply rooted in God's own revelation of himself in Scripture. It's revelational. It's reasonable. It's revelational. Thirdly, the confession is relational. Relational. Especially when we confess, I believe in God the Father Almighty. That's where we're going. So let's start at the beginning and think first about how this confession of belief in God the Father Almighty is reasonable. 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 It is, it is not always uncontroversial today to stand anywhere and say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I mean, almost every word of that is controversial in some way in our present circumstance. I believe in God. That's controversial in some circles. The Father, that's controversial, Almighty Almighty. When you start talking about power structures and stuff, that's controversial. Creator of heaven and earth—that's certainly controversial. I mean, every every little word of that is the very idea of God. I mean, just um, and 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 the fact that He created all this, and we ourselves are His are His creation, and therefore owe Him a—that's all so controversial. But if we're honest, this this problem isn't unique to us. Um this would have been unfashionable to confess even in the 2nd century in the 1st century today it may be unfashionable to confess faith in god at all but the early days of the apostles creed it would have been unfashionable and even dangerous to confess faith in just one god right they were polytheistic they lived in a poly- and it was It was unfashionable and and dangerous for them just to say, I don't believe in your gods, I believe in that there is just one. Right? Because in the days of the Roman Empire, Caesar was worshipped as god, and there was a whole pantheon of Greco-Roman gods that they would have worshipped and sacrificed to, and they were very deeply interwoven into society, and and the socially acceptable practices around them in the society. I mean you're open up to Revelation chapter 4, we don't have time to go into it, but if you just read Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and you have the letters to the seven churches, there uh you you see hints of this. I'll just give you two examples, two and just really focus on one, but the churches in Pergamum and Thyatira are similar in their struggles that are they're addressed to in their in the letters addressed to them. Uh, both accurately described as they were compromising their faith. Uh, but But they compromised their faith, those two churches, for similar reasons, though, in different degrees. Both churches in Pergamum and Thyatira were being tempted to compromise their commitment to Christ and their obedience to him because of social and economic pressure. Why did they have that? In Pergamum, for example, I'll zoom in there, in Pergamum, was it, it was a, that ancient city was a city that was known for its deep devotion and love for Caesar and the Roman Empire, and the believers in that city were being tempted to pay homage to Caesar and even participate in pagan practices and rituals to other gods uh, or else be discriminated against in, in society. And they, and if they were, if they made their livelihood at home, if they didn't participate in these things... And they made certain goods that they depended on people to buy in order to live, they would not buy from these people unless they participated in those rituals. Or I would be barred from buying from someone else. I would be stigmatized because I refused to to recognize other gods confessing this one God. So, what an early believer, when an early believer stood and confessed, I believe in God, singular, It was a socially unfashionable and potentially dangerous thing to confess. So this confession is not a new struggle to us. It's always been hard. Scriptural truth truth always cuts against the cultural grain. It's just for us, it's for different reasons. We live in an increasingly secular society um, that is losing every vestige of, of of a Christian view of God that it ever had it, if ever had it, I mean, in certain pockets, I mean, you, certain pockets of the university, certain pockets in a lot of places, uh, it's a culture that mocks the very idea of belief in God at all, especially the Christian God. In academic circles like Auburn University, belief, belief in God can be ridiculed. I mean, I, I faced it as a student in Auburn 400 years ago. Um I mean faith faith in God, belief in God can be mocked as as the most inane belief a person could have. Make you make you worthy of someone's suspicion or even disdain. From ancient times until now, the simple confession, I believe in God, has always been a rationally questionable uh, belief to the larger society. We need to reaffirm for us today that this this confession, when we say, I believe in God, is not merely biblical, which it is. It is also reasonable. And you don't have to feel like you are a fool for saying you believe in God, the Christian God even. Scripture testifies that there is ample evidence in nature all around us and within us. For the existence of a designer and a creator of it, I mean, it is just as reasonable. If you see, if you see the moon, like some some would say, it just happened. It's just as reasonable to think somebody made it. Like that's just as intuitively reasonable. Heaven, the heaven, Psalm nineteen one. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Romans 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Who are the them? All of us. Because God has shown it to them. How? For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly perceived. How? Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. The evidence for a creator is there in creation. So it is not unreasonable. It is not unreasonable for someone to presuppose that God exists and that he's the creator of all this that we see, that is intricate, that is mind-blowing. Someone might disagree with your presuppositions, but they're not irrational presuppositions, right? Um, it doesn't mean that you're unreasonable just because you have presuppositions about reality that somebody else doesn't have. Everyone begins with some set of presuppositions by which they view the world, by which they understand reality all around them. Nobody is presupposition free. Everybody starts someplace. And because this is where you start, you're just as reasonable as the next guy. The question then becomes, which set of presuppositions best accounts for this world that we actually live in? Wh- which set of presuppositions actually makes sense of all that I see? To stand there, you know, think about, think about uh, the famous quote by, by C.S. Lewis, who said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That's that's, 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 uh, that's what we're saying by by having a presupposition that God created this world and and that this world is is organized according to the way Scripture describes it. It just makes sense of the world we live in. And it may not be in favor in the broader society, but it is eminently reasonable. For practically all of human history, it was self-evident that God exists. At least one God, if not more. Hence, Psalm 14, 1 proclaims, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So all of human history is pretty decent company to be in when everyone else in your particular generation might question it. So the creed begins standing squarely with the inescapable truth of the existence of God. I believe in God. And It stands against our generation and any other who denies him. And in so doing, no, if if someone denies the worship of, the, of 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 God, they they don't default to nothing. They default default as the scriptures say to worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. All right, so they still worship. They still have gods. Many of them. Your belief in God, in other words, is not worthy of ridicule. It is it is not rationally questionable. Questionable is imminently reasonable it's more than that it's also revelational and like i said i think i made that word up but by it i just mean that the god that the god that, that that the apostles creed confesses belief in is precisely the christian god who has revealed himself in the pages of scripture we would know nothing about god we would know nothing about god apart from him revealing himself to us That's why, by the way, when I I, you'll find if you go here long enough, I I tend to it's by design. I pray the same prayer at the beginning of every teaching session. I confess what we believe about the scriptures. It is his inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative and necessary word. You may have never thought about why I say it's necessary, because without it, we don't know jack about God. He has revealed himself to us, and without his revelation, we don't know anything. And there are actually two kinds of ways that he's revealed himself to us. We call it general revelation and special revelation. General revelation and special revelation. And Like I said, we see both of these in the creed. When we say that God has revealed himself by way of what we call general revelation, we mean this in two basic ways. He's he's revealed himself generally to us in two basic ways. First, in creation, we've already talked about that, in creation all around us. Hence, the creed says that along with Scripture, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So there it is. He's He's revealed himself to us in creation. And second, along with creation, he's revealed himself to us, general revelation, in our conscience. I know right and wrong. I know right and wrong before I know right from left. I don't obey my conscience, but I know it, and I don't have. Any, I don't need to have anybody to teach me. I have an intuition. Where did that come from? And why is my what my conscience says is right and wrong? Why is it surprisingly like every other cultures in the world for all time? There's not. It's not like this half of the world says stealing is wrong, and that half of the world says stealing is okay. This half of the world says it's it's right to keep promises. This half of the world says it's okay to break promises. No, we all kind of believe the same kind of thing about right and wrong. Where did that come from? God put that in our hearts. He instilled His, his righteous character, the notion of it, in our own conscience. So generally speaking, from God's revelation around us in creation... And in our consciences within us, he's constantly testifying to us that he is, that he is, and, and what he is like. Creation says, I am. Conscience says, this is what I'm like. But, but general revelation is called general revelation for a reason. Creation conscience can only tell you so much right, the sun, moon, and the stars out there and the irreducible complexity of parts of my body and yours. It can tell us that God is powerful, that he is wise, but it can't tell us his name. Right? It, can't, it can't tell us his will. It can only tell us so much. It's general revelation. So the Lord in his mercy revealed himself to us also in what we call special revelation which means primarily the words of Scripture, but also most supremely in the coming of Christ, who is God with us. In Christ and in the Scriptures that lead us to Him, we know vastly more about God than anything we can learn of Him in, 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 in uh, creation and in conscience. In fact, we need the Scriptures to be able to understand general revelation properly. Because without the scriptures, even though it is eminently reasonable, when I look at this, the moon, even though it is eminently reasonable for me to look at the moon and say, somebody made that. Just because it's reasonable doesn't mean my sinful heart will do it. And all of human history testifies that's not what we do. People just worship the moon. <laughs> People just worship the sun. We do the wrong things with it. We need Scripture. We need special revelation to read creation rightly. I need Psalm fourteen one to tell me the heavens declare the glory of God. I need that. The Apostles' Creed also hints at, at this understanding of God's revelation, special revelation, when it not only affirms that he's creator of heaven and earth, which we know from Scripture, but also when it affirms that we believe in God the Father Almighty. The Father Almighty. In that one phrase, I believe in God, comma, the Father Almighty. In that one phrase, it is revealed who specifically He is. The Father. And think about that. In that one designation of God, Father, He's Father, immediately that implies some kind of plurality Within the unity of God. Does it not? Like, because a father presumes a son. You can't have one without the other. So the Trinitarian nature of God is already revealed here in the word Father. But not just who he is, but also it begins to reveal some of what he is like when it affirms he's the Father Almighty. God is, what does it mean to say God is almighty? Another, another fancy theological word for that is He is omnipotent. Omnipotent. What does that mean? It means He is able to perform anything that is consistent with His nature as God. He is able to do anything that is consistent with His nature as God. Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Implied, No. Jesus said, Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We're told in Scripture there are things that God cannot do. For example, he cannot lie. He cannot die. But the fact that he cannot die or lie makes his power greater, not less. So we're told that he's almighty. And as we've already alluded to, the fact, that it, the fact that the confession affirms that he is creator of heaven and earth, just to confess that, just to confess that this God is creator of heaven and earth, when you have eyes to see and look around at heaven and earth, that already testifies to a whole host of other attributes of God that are true. If it is true that he created that, then I know a lot of other things just by virtue of that about him. He is wise. He is good. There there is beauty in the world, so he is beautiful. He is kind. This this had a beginning, so he must be eternal. He's self-sufficient, and on and on and on it goes. Just to confirm, affirm that he's almighty and he created heaven and earth tells me a whole lot more about him. When we stand and confess with the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We are confessing something that is completely reasonable. I don't care what anybody says. We're also confessing that something that is completely rooted in the scriptures and God's specific and special revelation of himself. We only want to confess our, to believe things about God that he's told us about himself if left to our John Calvin said our our minds if left to themselves are a factory of idols <laughs> and we will we will create a god after our own imagination if we don't keep coming back to the scriptures there's one more characteristic to this first line of the confession it's not just reasonable it's not revelational at the heart of it it is relational relational think of the think of how it's worded i believe i believe in god the father almighty yes god exists eternal apart from creation as father son and holy spirit he is that even when i'm not here he is father son and holy spirit from all eternity will be from all for all eternity but to confess with the creed, to confess our faith in Him. I believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty. That implies my relationship with Him, not just as Father, but my Father. Like Psalm 8 begins, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Yes, he is Lord. Oh, Lord, he is Lord, whose name is majestic in all the earth. But by faith and by his gracious choosing, he is also our Lord. Oh, Lord, our Lord. Just like God is eternally Father to God the Son, Jesus taught us who believe to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So to confess the opening words of the creed, we're not just confessing something true about who he is. We're we're confessing something that is true of our relationship to him. And the scripture has a lot to say about that. Jesus is the son of God. He is God the son. So Jesus, as God the son, stands out. He he relates to God the Father in a unique way that we cannot and do not. But the promise of the gospel is that by faith in Jesus Christ, we are graciously adopted as sons of God. He adopts us as his sons. And now through adoption, he is our Father. And in Christ we have all the blessings that he has earned for us in his life and his death and his resurrection, which we'll say more about as we move through the, through the creed. By faith, we are all sons of God, having God as our father. And that may sound funny if you're a girl, but I will say to you, even if you're a girl, you are a proud son of your heavenly father. Because even if it's a girl, that's a truth that you need to embrace in, in Scripture. Because it's not talking about your gender. It's talking about your place of privilege. It's talking about your privilege. It is simply a fact of the ancient world. <laughs> Can't change it. It just is. And God spoke to us in, in cultural ways. It's simply a fact of the ancient world that in that culture, the sons received all the inheritance; the daughters got nothing. Okay, the sons got it all, but in the in the graciousness of our God in the gospel, by faith in Jesus Christ, He extends the privilege of of sons to all who believe in Christ. Just like Galatians three twenty eight says. Now there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is not saying that those distinctions don't exist in the world and that male and female aren't a real thing. They are just saying they don't factor in your standing before God. They don't factor. I mean, a slave factors just as highly as a free man, a Jew just as much as a Greek. A man just as much as a woman. All are level in Christ. And when we confess Him as Father by faith in Jesus Christ, we're also reminded that our Father is Almighty. He's the Creator of heaven and earth. I mean, what a Father. And therefore, because my father, who has adopted me as a son in his family. And because he is almighty and the creator of heaven and earth, he not only does he desire good things for me, not only does he desire good things for you because he's your father, but he is able to work all things together for your good to bring those things about because he's almighty. It's benevolent omnipotence. And he'll do it until we see him in glory. What a beautiful truth we confess when we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this truth we can confess. Thank you for that. Thank you that that you that that the church down through the ages have have affirmed this, that that you have preserved a faithful church throughout the the centuries and the millennia, so that even to this very day we can look at this ancient creed that's rooted so deeply in the Holy Scriptures, to confess the same thing as our brothers and sisters two thousand years ago. Thank you that you never change. Thank you that you, are, that you exist and all things exist because of your will and by your choosing. Thank you that you have graciously revealed your Son to us in whom we can have the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternal life and the blessing of adoption into your family. We thank you that you are who you are despite who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.